One single exchange in history stands tall. Our world changed forever. One man's life for the future of all. The exchange of God's son for the sin of the world. Death into life. God's plan for righteousness unfurled. As dark becomes light. Sorrow becomes joy. Freedom from chains, hope that fear can no longer destroy. Accepted, not rejected. For God sent his son. That our future could change. And this is the great exchange. Welcome. Thank you. Let's, let's welcome the guys joining us in Cambridge, Leicester, online in Cafe Church. Come on, let's say hi to them. Great to be with you. And welcome to part five of this series on the Great Exchange, looking at the cross and all that was accomplished and won for humanity when Jesus died on the cross. Now, when you hear that word exchange, uh, I wonder what you think of. I think of similar words like to swap something or trade something. Uh, I wonder if you were thinking in that context what you would consider to be a, a good, a really good exchange or a good swap. You know, apparently the Latin is something like quid, pro quo, which I think means I give you a quid and you give me a status quo album, something like that. Um, or a, a good, good exchange for me would be going to Aldi, giving them five pounds and getting a fantastic salmon steak in return, or going to Tesco and paying 750 for the same one, or Waitrose and paying 10 pounds, all good exchanges. Or two, I often think of two little boys in a, a football, in a, a playground, and they've got football stickers and they're exchanging them with each other. One of them's going, I'll give you four Wayne Rooney's for your Sergio Aguero. Apparently that's a, it's a really good swap. Anyway, now when we talk about exchanges though, good swaps, good exchanges, when we come to the cross, this is the single greatest exchange or trade in the history of the world. It's not a good exchange, it's a great, amazing exchange. It's not about we give something good and get something decent in return. No, it's we get rid of stuff that we don't want, that's worthless, that we could never get rid of. And in exchange, we get things in return from Jesus we could never earn. The best things that life has to offer. Derek Prince puts it like this. I love this. Talking about the cross, he says, All of the evil due to us for our sin went on Jesus in order that all the good due to him for his perfect life might come on us. A writer to Hebrews 10.14 says this. He says, For by one sacrifice, Jesus, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. What does he mean there? He means very simply, when you look at the cross, when Jesus went to that cross and died in your place and my place, he was making provision for all humanity, for all time, for every need that you ever have can be met by what Jesus did there. I've got great news for you today. Wherever you are, whatever your need is, Jesus has made available to you whatever that need is, it can be met today. Now, as we bring this series to a close, we're going to be looking at eight exchanges of the cross. Now, there are, yeah, eight. Say eight, someone near you. This is good news. Um, now, why eight? There are actually loads of exchanges that are taking place on the cross. But it's such a rich event that's taking place in history. It takes time to grasp hold of the wonder of what Jesus has done for us. 
And I want to make today really, really practical. I wonder if you'd get hold of your sermon outline there and just kind of give it a wave or waft it near someone near you so they can kind of get called off. Well, I want to ask you during this time that you'd be kind of even, even more diligent than normal in taking notes. How many of you want the truths of the cross to be a reality in your life? Not, not just some great history, but actually it makes a difference Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and for the rest of this year and for the rest of your life. Well, that's what God wants for you. He wants the truth of his word to make a difference in your life. So I want to encourage you as we look at these eight exchanges today, all of which are personalised, to first of all today receive them by faith. Whether you've heard these for the first time today or for the thousandth time today, why not ask God, God reveal to me what this means and how it can be lived out in my life. And then I want to ask you, take this away, put it in a, a prominent place in your house, and then over the next few weeks, start to speak out and meditate on the truths that are written here. And I tell you, the truth of what Jesus has done becomes a reality in your life and my life. Here we go. Number one, Jesus was punished so that I can be forgiven. Let, let's say that together. Jesus was punished so I can be forgiven. In the book of Isaiah, speaking of Jesus and looking ahead to the cross, the writer says this. He said, Jesus, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. There's the first exchange right there. Jesus was punished so that you and I can be forgiven and come to know peace with God. How many of you would say there are times when you need to be reminded Jesus has already paid the price for everything you've ever done wrong, past present or future, and that he's paid the price so that you and I can live at peace with God. And about you, I, I need reminding about that. I mean, just, just for a moment, I wonder if you've ever tried to count how many times you've failed to hit the measure that God's stand, God standards set for us. Now, you, you look, looking around me, you look a pretty holy bunch of people, but I'm, I'm kind of guessing that you share the same kind of temptations and challenges that I, I face. You know, uh, when you think about, for me, I think about the things I'm supposed to do and haven't done. I think of the things I have done and shouldn't have done. The unkind thoughts, occasionally unkind words that come out of my mouth, even occasionally acts of outright rebellion against God. Uh, quite a lot of them. Now take your best day. Think of the best day, your holiest day most righteous day you've ever had. And just estimate how many times you think you failed to hit God's standards in that day. And let's, let's be kind. Let's say it was once. That's kind, isn't it? Would you agree? Well, then multiply that by how many days you've been alive. Now, I've calculated this in preparation for the message. If I take out a year for being a baby, I reckon I've had 19,000 days on earth and roughly about the same number to come. Multiply that by how many times we failed to make God's standards. How many degree? That's quite a big number. Yeah. On the cross, Jesus paid for every single one. Forgiven, forgotten, gone. Is that amazing? You and I, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence because Jesus has paid for the lot. I love what Jesus said, uh, J. John said. He said, Jesus has come not to rub it in, 
but to rub it out. Number one, Jesus was punished so that you and I can be forgiven. Number two, Jesus became sin so that I can be made righteous. Now, I wonder if you'd agree, it's wonderful to know that I've had my sins cancelled, the debt has been paid. That's wonderful enough on its own. But actually, what was going on the cross was even more wonderful than that. Uh, Paul says in Corinthians, he says this, he says, God made him who had no sin, Jesus, the perfect man, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, on the cross, Jesus not only identified with your sin and my sin, Paul is saying he actually became sin in that moment. Uh, think for a second what, what that must have cost Jesus, the perfect holy, completely righteous Son of God who never had a wrong thought or a wrong action. For a moment, he actually becomes sin. Now, why? 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 So that you and people like you and me can not only be forgiven, not just be kind of improved a little bit, get a bit of spiritual Botox, but actually have an identity change. The papers got swapped. You and I, we get Jesus' record on sin so that you and I, we become the righteousness of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, when I was at school, when I was doing A-level maths particularly, I always want, longed for the day when my test papers would get swapped. There's a particular lad called Robert who when I was doing maths, he was pretty much a maths genius. And there were times when in, in A-level tests, he would get 100%, he'd get a perfect score. And I longed for the day when the teacher swapped the papers and Robert got Simon Deeks' score and I got Robert's score and the teacher could say, Simon Deeks, perfect score, well done. Now here's the thing, the test papers got swapped. Your record on sin is given to Jesus on the cross so that now before the Father, for all time and all eternity, you get Jesus' record on sin. You've become the righteousness of God. Isn't that amazing? Do you know, you know what that means? When you, when you catch this, it means that things like sin issues suddenly start to get dealt with differently. Many people find themselves in a cycle of trying to deal with sin and getting into kind of a, a cycle of guilt, shame and condemnation, temporary release and then back into the same sin because they, they have a feeling of being under condemnation all the time. When you and I get it, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For all eternity, Jesus has paid for it, past, present and future. You don't want to sin, not because you're going to get found out, but because you'll miss out on the presence of the King. Jesus became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. Number three, Jesus bore my shame so that I can share his glory. Come on, say that with me. Jesus bore my shame so that I can share his glory. I wonder if, you've, if you look back over your life, if you've ever done anything that actually you feel really ashamed about. Ashamed in the sense, I don't want other people to know and I don't want God to ever bring it to my attention. Why? Because it, it does something about <clears throat> how I feel about myself. Guilt is about doing things wrong. Shame says there's something wrong with me, fundamental in my makeup. Jesus went to the cross so that you and I can be free <clears throat> from the power of shame. When you look at Jesus there on the cross, 
He is taking your and my shame. It was visited upon him. Just think for a moment of what Jesus was like on the cross. There he is. He's, he's naked. He's being publicly humiliated, rejected and abandoned by friends, abuse hurled at him by religious leaders, by the Roman authorities. He's abandoned, he's alone, and he's rejected. Your shame went on Jesus on the cross. For what reason? Hebrews 2.10 says this, God did the right thing when he made Jesus perfect by suffering as Jesus led many of God's children to be saved and to share in what? His glory. Wow. On the cross. Do you know, I think many of us, we just settle for being forgiven, which is good, for being made righteous. But you know, Jesus wants to do more than that. He wants you to share his glory. Now, now what does that mean? It means to be freed from everything there's a consequence of sin upon our life and to become increasingly like he is, full of freedom, full of power, bold, confident, secure, confident about tomorrow, confident about the future, knowing that there's peace flowing through your body, that whatever life throws at you, the Father is going to help you overcome it. He wants you to share in his glory. He wants that to rest upon you. Do you know, I can hardly think of anything more wonderful that I can get rid of the shame that comes from the stuff I've done. And Jesus, give me his glory. Maybe today, some of you need to leave shame in the room. Say, I'm not going to live under the sentence of those failures that I've made anymore. And more than that, I'm not just going to get rid of them. I'm going to exchange them for the glory of Jesus. Jesus bore our shame so that we can share his glory. Number four, Jesus was wounded so that I can be healed. <clears throat> Say that with me. Jesus was wounded. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says this. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Uh, those of you who were around recently and you heard that great message focusing on this wonderful passage in Isaiah chapter 53, maybe you'll remember the kind of suffering that Jesus went through physically, both in the, just before the cross and actually on the cross. That, that shocking, those shocking images of actual nails going into his physical hands and into his feet of the, the whipping that he endured at the hands of professional Roman soldiers, and then the physical excruciating pain of actually being hung up on a cross. Now, what was going on there? What was happening? Why, why did Jesus go through all of that pain? Well, in that moment, during those few hours, Jesus was taking upon himself all of the pain and the brokenness of humanity from all of time. All of your pain, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, was visited on Jesus during that time. He saw ahead to you today. He saw ahead to what's going on deep within your being and he took the pain upon himself. He has made provision for you and I to be healed and made whole emotionally, spiritually, mentally and physically. Now, we may not see all of that. We won't see all of that. 
until we see Jesus face to face and we enter into the glory of heaven. But you know, over these next few years, however long you've got on life, you can grow from one degree of wholeness to another degree of wholeness. I, I was chatting to one of the guys in Cambridge a couple of weeks ago and he was telling me how uh, 16 months ago he was experiencing terrible, consistent, debilitating pain. And he'd been to doctors, he'd been to the hospital and all they could offer to him was painkillers. They were doing their best, but that's all they could give him. Well, he, he made a decision that he was going to do all he could to access the healing that had been released to him. So in Cambridge, as we do in, in all of our centres, he, he's come for prayer after every single service that he, he's at, at church for. And he said over that 14 months, he's just gradually got better and better and better. And he said to me two weeks ago, he said, I am now 95% healed from where I was at before, where I was likely to end up in a wheelchair. Isn't God good? God is in the healing business. Now, I want to say to you today, if you're not well today, if you've got some pain in your life, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, why, why not get hold of what Jesus has done for you on the cross? Get, get hold of that declaration, that scripture, and start meditating on it. I can't guarantee you'll get healed straight away. But I do know as you meditate on these things, faith rises. Get hold of all the prayer that you can get and believe that God is going to set you free as you get hold of what he's done for you. Number five, Jesus was rejected so I can share his acceptance. Do you know, I, I think it's part of the human condition living on earth to experience rejection at some point in our life. I, I used to be a secondary school teacher and I used to hate those PE lessons where you get the, the bit where you're picking who's going to be in the football teams. And you can see the ones that get picked last you think, oh no, isn't there got to be a better way for people to get picked just because they're not any good at football? I would guess that all of you, some point in your life, have experienced the wound of rejection. And that sense almost that it so, feels so painful. There's a sense of isolation that comes with it and almost a feeling nobody else really gets what I've experienced. Here's the thing, Jesus does. What was happening to Jesus on the cross was he was experiencing the rejection that you've experienced. Maybe not identical, but in many ways deeper. He experienced human rejection. I mean, all the way through Jesus' life on earth, he's rejected by the religious leaders. But actually on the cross, he's rejected by his closest friends who just a few hours later have declared undying commitment to him. He's got abuse hurled at him by strangers and foes and friends alike around him on the cross. Rejection is thrown on him. But actually, the greatest rejection that Jesus experienced, and maybe it's the greatest rejection that people can experience, is rejection from a father. As Jesus hung on the cross, and your sin and my sin was visited upon him, the father looked away. It says in Matthew 26, it says, as Jesus hung on the cross, says about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When if you've ever stopped to think what that moment cost God. For the first time in all of eternity, Jesus is separated from his father. The father is separated 
from his son. Jesus is removed from an eternal life of love and power and goodness. His prayers get nowhere. He understands what it means to be cut off and have a sense of where is God? Why have you forsaken me? Why did Jesus do that? Why did he go through that? So that you and I don't have to live with the wounds of rejection. And even more than that, so we can come to know the greatest acceptance a human being can know, which is full, total, unconditional acceptance by God the Father. Ephesians 1, Paul writes this, he said, God decided in advance before the cross to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. Here's the thing, if you're a Christian today, you're not only forgiven, you've been adopted by God. You've become his son and daughter for the rest of history. Just... um, a few weeks ago, I, I was spending some time with uh, one of my uh, cousins, and they've got uh, little children. Um, the, what, the, the first one, the, the elder one, was adopted. The second one was born by natural birth to them. Now, they, they were telling me how a few weeks ago, the, the two children had the fight that I think most children have at one point about who's loved the most. And the younger one said to the elder one, well, our parents love me more than you, that's clear. I'm their child where you're just adopted. And to the delight of the parents, the answer came back immediately from the elder one. Oh, no, 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 no. They had to have you. They chose me by choice. I got picked out by name. Come on. God chose you. He picked you out by name. Before the foundation of the world, he picked you out. And what does Paul say? Because he wanted to. It's not an accident, it's a choice by an infinite, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipowerful God to say, I choose you. (laughs) I am going to preach myself happy today, I tell you. Come on. Jesus was rejected so you and I can know his acceptance. Number six. Jesus endured my poverty so that I can share his abundance. Do you know, God wants you and I to live with not a poverty mentality, but an abundance mentality. Listen to how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians. He says this. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, I don't know how you would define the word poverty, but in Deuteronomy 28 in the Old Testament, defines poverty through four words, hunger, thirst, nakedness, and lack. Think of Jesus on the cross. Is there a more graphic picture of poverty maybe anywhere in the world? There he was experiencing the most excruciating physical agony Drained physically, but with no physical sustenance. He was thirsty. He was naked. He owned nothing. His last possessions on earth were being gambled over by some Roman soldiers as he died. Even the grave they put him in was borrowed. He took your and my poverty. Why? So that we can be blessed with his abundance. Listen to this. Wonder, in fact, what, will you read this promise with me from 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8? Paul, come and read this with me. God is able to bless you abundantly 
so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, come on, if you ever needed a promise for abundance, there it is. All things, all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, please hear me right. I don't think the cross means we're all going to drive Rolls Royces, live in Yorkshire and be millionaires. <laughs> but I tell you what it does mean. It means God wants to provide for your every need materially and for you to have enough over and above to be able to bless other people. You know, people often say, yeah, but didn't Jesus live poor? Well, here's the thing. I, I think I love the way someone put it recently. Jesus didn't carry around any cash, but he drew on his father's credit card all of the time. Have you agree? It takes quite a lot to feed 10,000 people and to pay your taxes by catching a fish. God is a God of abundance. He wants to meet your every need. Let, let me, I just want to read to you a great testimony from a, a couple, Kingsgate couple, de demonstrating, I think, an abundance mentality. Uh, they wrote this to me recently um, after the giving day. I said this. In the run-up to giving day, we received communication. He's a PhD student that I would no longer be receiving a stipend to support my stay at Cambridge as the four years assigned to the project were up. The reality was that our finances were tight and with no job yet, we were anxious about how we would manage in the coming months. Though our instinct would have been to hold back, we knew in our hearts there could be nothing better than to be part of the giving day. We also, I love this, we wanted to increase our giving from last year, even if it was only by a token amount. The word that we kept getting was, do not hold back. After converting some money we kept aside into pounds, we were a humble, brackets, massive to us, two pounds higher than we'd given last year. So we happily gave what we could into the, the offering. Now, what was the result? That week, I love this, that week, two things happened. Number one, someone donated into the charity that we run an equivalent amount of money as we had just given into the offering. And then secondly, my monthly stipend was surprisingly extended until the day I ceased to be a student, meaning we can continue on without any financial worries. Come on. God is a God of abundance. He wants to provide for our every need. Number seven. Jesus became the curse so I can share his blessing. I wonder if you've ever had a sense in life that it feels like you're living under a curse, almost a sense that there's some kind of almost evil grip over your life where it feels like everything that could go wrong does go wrong. Life is hard and it just feels like there's, there's some kind of power that's got a hold of me. Well, I've got good news for you if you feel like that, because guess what? Jesus bore the curse. Listen to this wonderful promise. Galatians 3 says this, Jesus Christ rescued us from the law's curse when he became a curse in our place. This is because the scriptures say that anyone who is nailed to a tree, for which we can put the cross, is under a curse. And because of what Jesus has done, the blessing that was promised to Abraham was taken to the Gentiles. Do you know who the Gentiles are? Us. 
That's you and me, that's us. In other words, Jesus took the curse, so the same blessing that came on Abraham can now come on people like you and me. As Jesus hung on that cross, he became the curse so you and I can be blessed. Do you know God wants to bless you? <laughs> Deuteronomy 28 is one of my favourite chapters for looking where Mo Moses is declaring the curses that come that you and I can be free from because of what Jesus has done and he's declaring the blessing that God wants to release over our lives. And I, I love to take uh, bits of Deuteronomy 28, it's quite a long chapter, and declare the good stuff over me and over my family uh, regularly as part of my prayer time. So I'll pray something like this. Father, I want to thank you for your blessings that have been released to me through your death on the cross. Your blessings are coming upon me they're overtaking me and there isn't room enough to contain them. I'm blessed when I go out and I'm blessed when I come in. I'm blessed when I sit down and I'm blessed when I stand up. I'm blessed when I'm tired and I'm blessed when I'm energised. I'm blessed in Cambridge. I'm blessed in Peterborough. I'm blessed in London. I'm blessed in London. I'm blessed in the cafe church. I'm blessed at home. I'm blessed at work. Father, I thank you that your blessing is not only on me, it's on my wife. Your blessing is on my children. Your blessing is on my children's children when they get there, your blessings on my children's 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 and all the way down, your blessings on my bank account and savings, your favours on my work. Lord, I thank you that I'm a blessed man because you are good. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> oh, God is good, eh? Now, that doesn't absolve me from the call to walk in obedience. Or give me license to say, okay, God's going to bless me out and go and do whatever I like. But I tell you what it does. As you declare that out of your mouth, faith rises up within you and it positions me to want to be obedient, partly because of the blessings that come, but also because he's so good, why would I not want to walk in obedience to him? Let me ask you, what's coming out of your mouth? First thing, the start of the day, an expectation of curse, or an expectation of blessing. Come on, Kingsgate. Let's be people who live in the light of a God who wants to bless us. Number eight. Jesus tasted death for me so that I can share in his life. Will you just say that with me one more time? Jesus tasted death for me so I can share in his life. Hebrews 2 says this. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Let, let me remind you or tell you of something most of us already know. When Jesus was on that cross, he actually died. He physically died. His heart stopped pumping. The blood stopped flowing. His brain stopped operating. He was dead. Now, to what might look like the moment of greatest defeat was actually <laughs> the single greatest moment of victory and good news in the history of the world. Because as Jesus tasted death, for you and me, he did so. Why? So that we don't have to taste death, but we receive the life that he wants to give, quality of life now and quantity of life for all eternity. 
I I love the way Calvin the theologian puts it. I love this. He says, by dying, Jesus ensured that we would not die. He redeemed us to life by his own death. He differed from us, however, in this respect. He let himself be swallowed up by death, as it were, not to be engulfed in its abyss, but rather to engulf it that must have soon engulfed us. He let himself be subjected to it, not to be overwhelmed by its power, but rather to lay it low when it was threatening us and exulting over our fallen state. Jesus has taken on death and he's beaten it. Come on. Death's power has been broken. We no longer need to live under the slavery of the fear of death. Now, sure, what's really clear here is that 2,000 years ago, the power of death was broken. Yes, until Jesus comes again, there will always be pain associated with death. It's normal to mourn over death because there's something so powerful about it. But its power has been broken. And Jesus' resurrection tells us that one day death itself will die. There'll be no more mourning, no more sickness, no more pain, no more death. Jesus has defeated it. I want to tell you today, you don't have to live afraid of death anymore. I'll I'll never forget the, the incredible privilege a few years ago of tracking with my mum as she came to the the last moments of her life, the last few days of her life. She'd been a passionate Christian for many years of her life. And as she came to the end of her life, I spent some time with her. I hated what cancer was doing to her physical body. But what was remarkable was how she was approaching her imminent death. She wasn't just not afraid of dying. She was looking forward to death. She was anticipating what would lay beyond death and into eternity. And I'll never forget, I was in a a lounge when a couple of her friends came, uh, who she'd known for years, Christians. And they came into the room and they said to her, I hadn't seen her for a few months, they said, Margarita, because that's her name. Margarita, hallelujah, you're dying. (laughs) I'm like, excuse me? (laughs) Well, what was it? They got it. We don't have to live under the slavery of the fear of death anymore. Its power has been broken. And as I watched that, I listened to them, I thought, I want to live like that. When I approach my death in 70 or 80 years' time, whenever it is, I want to be like that. I want to live for the next however long, not afraid of death and looking forward to eternity. And as Jesus said, experiencing quality of life now. Jesus said, I've come, they may have life and have it in all its fullness now and live forever. Jesus invites us to live forever. He tasted death so you and I can receive his life. (laughs) Let me finish my message with a story. 31st of July, 1941. Sirens ran out from cell block 14 in Auschwitz concentration camp in World War II. The Nazi guards thought someone had escaped from the camp And therefore, they they were picking 10 people at random to be executed in place of the one who'd escaped. As they chose those people, one man came out whose name was Francis Gernicek, a Polish man. As he stepped out, he started to weep. And he said, my poor wife and children, they will never see me again. As he said that, another man 
called Maximilian Colbert, a middle-aged Catholic priest, a little guy. He stepped forward and he said, I, I want to take his place. I want to die in his place. Unusually, the Nazi guy said, okay, you can die in his place. All 10 of those men were then put into a starvation bunker where over the next two weeks, all of them died, including Maximilian Kolbe, who led all 10 of them to faith in Jesus before he was the last to die. 40 years later, Francis Garnicek, who survived the war, got, uh, got back, was reunited with his family. And 40 years later, he was stood as part of a massive crowd uh, in St. Peter's in Rome, a crowd of 150,000, where he testified to what Maximilian Kolbe had done for him and the life that he had released to him and now to his children and to his children's children. And in, in Francis Gernicek's, in, in his obituary, it's written, he spent the rest of his life going around telling everyone what Maximilian Kolbe had done for him. Now, here's the thing, as I bring this message in this series to a close. What Maximilian Kolbe did was a wonderful thing, incredibly sacrificial. But you know, what Jesus has done for you is even greater. He, he took your place. He paid a price that is unimaginable. He wants us to receive all the benefits of the cross, even today, to release to him to trade with him, to exchange with him, all those negative things in order to, re to receive the life that he wants to give to us. He doesn't want us to live lower than everything that he's bought and paid for us. But here's the thing, just like Francis Gernicek spent the rest of his life saying what this uh, priest had done for him, can I say, we need to be like that. We need to be people who say, we're going to live the rest of our lives telling people what Jesus has done for us, how he took our place on the cross, how he died so that we might live. Can I, can I say to us, Kingsgate, out of this kind of series on the great exchange, let's be people who live lives full of gratitude to Jesus for what he's done. But let's go. Let's tell our cities about the goodness of our God, about what he's done for us, on what he can do for them, whether it's Easter time or whenever. Let's be people who give our best to inviting others to come and hear the good news of what Jesus has done. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your incredible sacrifice for us on the, the cross. Thank you for everything that you took, the exchange that you made. Thank you for the incredible blessings that you have released to us as a result of the cross. And I want to pray, Heavenly Father, for every one of us that we would live in the fullness of the cross and that all of our lives would be spent telling other people about what you've done for us and what you can do for them. Father, we ask all of that in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. If you agree with that, say aloud, Amen.